Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and I'd like to welcome you to our first Sacramento City College real estate show. The purpose of our shows that we're having now, I know many of you have watched uh, different classes that I've had on either real estate principles or real estate practice or real estate finance. But the purpose of this now, this show, if you will, or I've called it the Sacramento City College real estate slash business show, is to take some time to invite some people that are professionals within the industry to come in and meet for us or meet with us for, you know, probably about 55 minutes or an hour and tell us what they do within their daily job. And because they're more of an expert, if you will, in the industry than I'll ever pretend to be, it helps the whole learning process. It helps the students able to learn. And also, the other thing I'd like to mention, too, it also helps you see somebody that does this kind of work on a daily basis and helps you better understand what they do and also uh, possibly in the future maybe it might be a job that you might be interested in. So in, in, in shows to come, we'll be bringing in people from the uh, finance industry. We'll be bringing in probably real estate attorneys, real estate accountants. We're hoping to get people such as uh, uh, presidents of the Sacramento Association of Realtors to come in for interviews and uh, to just, again, share with you their knowledge and their expertise uh, within the real estate, and I say real estate slash business area or business, or business industry, if you will, if we can. Today, we're fortunate enough to have somebody by the name of Jeff Webb. Jeff is a licensed real estate appraiser. He has been good enough uh, over the last few uh, semesters to come in and speak to my internship class. And specifically, Jeff has come in and talked about what it's like to be a real estate appraiser. And uh, I, today, though, I want to take a little different tact. I want to pick his brain about you know, how the actual real estate uh, appraisal process works and what he does on a day-to-day -day basis and the importance of, of the appraisal process. And so I'd like to welcome you, Jeff, to the show. And, Thank you, Pat. Uh, I really appreciate you coming here, being our first guest, by the way. You'll go down in history as being the first guest. What I wanted to do is, and I'm going to try to do this with all the different shows, is first start out by just asking, you know, the people when they come in, uh, you know, how did you ever manage to get into the real estate appraisal business, and how long have you been in? Okay. Um, well, my uh, my dad was a construction worker, a spec builder, and uh, we had apartments, family-owned apartments when I was growing up, so I changed a few water heaters and those sorts of things when the other kids were playing ball. Um I, uh, I dropped out of high school and completed my first real estate transaction for profit at the age of 17. 17. Uh, this was in Las Vegas, Nevada. I spec built my first home uh, at the age of 19. Got the, uh, got the loan for the construction money from a pit boss at the Stardust Hotel. <laughs> Wonderful man. Um, he's passed on now, but I learned quite a bit from him. Uh, and uh, was building homes and selling them, having fun. And then uh, came uh, some recessionary times. It was the Jimmy Carter administration. The interest so we're talking rates about the 1970s, late 70s. Late yeah. 70s yeah. The uh, the interest rates kind of went to the point where it was real tough to sell houses. So uh, I basically skipped town and went to college for four years. Um, then when I uh, when I got out of college, I, I went to Sac State for graduate school. I didn't. Uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed uh, English. But discovered that teaching wasn't for me, and when uh, when my wife had our first son, uh, he uh, sh we were standing in the delivery room, 
And she looked up at me and she said, well, Jeff, I've got news for you. Um, I'm not going back to work. And if you want me to help with any income or anything, it's got to be something we're going to do from home. So uh, I, my wife and I, we sat down. We, we made a list of what we wanted out of a career sure. separately. And uh, she had her first priority, which was be at home with my baby. I had my first priority, which was boss or a time card. And I forget what the ones lower down on the list were, but we basically merged those lists together. And once we had that list of what we were looking for in a career, we went out asking everybody we knew or met, showing them our list, saying, what do you know that could possibly fit this? And uh, considered a couple of outside sales careers, those types of things, and finally somehow we landed on appraisals. Um, So I picked up the phone. I called uh, the chief appraiser for Bank of America. He since retired and uh, offered to buy him uh, lunch at a fast food restaurant of his choice. <laughs> fast food, <laughs> I like fast food. And uh, asked him, you know, well, what's it like? What is appraisal? Basically the same questions your students asked me in your internship class. Mm-hmm. And I had the same discussion with him that I've been having now as the appraiser with your intern. Right. What's it like? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Uh, what do I need to do to get from here to there? Those sorts of things. Right. This was before licensing. So I, uh, I took a few classes at a junior college at, at um, uh, Sierra College, and uh, I read several books. I hooked up with a, a mentor, someone who was a, um, a real estate broker. In those days, this is in the, in the late mid-'80s, that's all you needed to be to do appraisals was a real estate broker, and you could call yourself an appraiser. Right. And uh, got a little experience that way. And... Uh, uh, went out on my own a while later, and I've been working out of my home with my wife doing appraisals ever since. That's the late '80s. I forget what year. <laughs> <laughs> now you're you're so so basically you're the one that is out in the field every day, and you're the one doing the inspections yes. and. Uh, uh, visiting the home and taking pictures and stuff like that. So, I mean, and you and your wife work together. So what does she do as far as the back office or the back end? Well, because this is also a business. It's not just an appraisal. There's more to it than just the appraisal process and filling out the report. There's taxes. There's there's dealing with um, the information services we subscribe to. There's, um, you know, paying the bills, all sorts of office support type things, scheduling, I rarely schedule my own appointments when we're very busy. My wife calls me on the cell phone, and she's booked me in the next appointment of property to go see. Um, so she'll, lots of times she'll pull comps for me and do those sorts of things. And when she does... Um, now, comps means... Comparable sales. Comparable that sales. That I should go out and drive by and look at while I'm in the field looking okay. at, a, at, a, at a home I'm appraising. Okay. So she'll do a lot of office support type things. Okay. Now, what, you know, there's a lot of appraisals when we look at them. You know, there's commercial appraisal, there's, you know, apartment houses, shopping centers, condominiums, all kinds of different things. What kind of appraisal, your practice, what does that kind of focus on? What do you okay. kind of focus on? Uh, well, since the licensing came in, that kind of drew a line between the residential and the commercial appraisers. Okay. I'm on the residential side. Um, I, I appraise single-family homes uh, and two- to four-unit homes. I do land. Um, I do quite a bit of construction, residential construction. Okay. 
Now, when you say residential construction, is that prior to them actually starting to build the house, or is there something that you do during the phase of the building, or how does that work? Uh, well, both, actually. Um, typically, if someone's going to build a home, they'll, um, they'll, they'll find some land, um, and they'll have a set of plans. The lender will give me the, the, uh, uh, the parcel number so I can find the land off a plat map, and they'll give me the plans as well as some other documents that will be the description of materials, the owner's or his contractor's estimate of the cost to build the home, and a few other documents. I'll go scooting out there. I'll drive up into the foothills, and I'll find the, the site they're going to build on, and I'll look at the site. I'll look at the view. I'll take the plans that they've given me, and I'll appraise as though that house were completed on that site on the day I'm out there. Okay. So I'll go find some comparable sales and do the market approach. I'll look at their costs and I'll run them through Marshall and Swift and do my own cost estimate to be, see if they're online. Now, and Marshall Swift, who's Marshall Swift? Marshall and Swift is a national uh, cost estimating service that most appraisers use and rely on. Um, it's a company and they put out standardized cost elements nationwide. So, I, for example, this pretty house in our, in our picture here on these improvements, um, I could go to either online or to my Marshall and Swift handbook, and I could pull up this as a as a very good quality. They have quality classifications. I could look at the square footage of the property. Um, I could look at the um, you know the types of floor covering, how many fireplaces, what type of roof, what type of foundation. Once I know all these, I can I can look at the national cost averages and I can get a price per square foot of the actual building costs to build this, including the landscaping, the driveways, the whole thing. Now, is that cost, that cost is per square foot then? It's not per, it's, you're not pricing out the nails and the, and the plaster and the board and everything else? I can do it that way, but for our purposes, we usually just do, do a, a per foot estimate. Okay. So you're actually taking the land and maybe looking at all the lots that have been selling and how they view, and then you're looking at the cost of building the house. And, and right. Brand new, as if it's brand new, because it will be brand new. Then. Right. Okay. And, and theoretically, in theory, for the students here who are studying mm -hmm. theory, yeah. in new construction with a new home, such as this home, you can see this is a fairly new home. Notice, the, notice how the landscaping hasn't grown in yet. Um, if there's, a, if there's a vacant lot next door to this property, then I, as a buyer, who was, who was shot, and, and this property was on, on the market for sale, if there's a, the same lot next door, couldn't I just buy that lot, hire a contractor to build this house next door and right. have the identical product next door in, in a few months, six, eight months' time? Right. Sure, I could. What that tells me is, since that's an option for me as the buyer, the total cost of that package... I'm not going to pay a whole lot more than that for this property. So right. that's going to set my upper ceiling of value for this property. Right. Why would I pay, just to pull a number out of the air, like we're not supposed to do, why would I pay uh, $800,000 for this property when I could build the same thing next door for six fifty? Right, right. So by, by estimating the cost of this, of this completed package landscape and everything, when I... When I see the cost of it is is six fifty seven hundred thousand, I know it's not going to sell for a whole lot more than that. Now, when you go when you do that initial appraisal, I know I built a house about three years ago, and I remember one day I was out there, and it was during a phase when we were having the pool put in, and uh, all of a sudden this person showed up, this lady showed up with a camera, 
And she said, do you mind if I take some pictures? And I said, okay. And I thought she was the building inspector. And she said, and I said, oh, are you here to, you know, you know, for the building inspection or for the, you know, the pool inspection? She said, no, I'm the, I'm the real estate appraiser. I'm here to, to uh, take pictures of the pool. For the and, draw, for the construction draw. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I, I was assuming, although I didn't talk to her for at the time, but I was assuming that she was, uh, you know, making sure that when I said that I was going to put a pool in, that I was actually putting a pool in. Right. So you're saying we that do you, that too. During the during the construction, if this is the home that we're building here, uh, at different phases of the construction, the lender might call the appraiser, or sometimes they just have inspectors who specialize in this. And uh, but frequently, I'll get those calls too. When I've done the construction appraisal off the plans, they'll call me in a month or two, and I'll go out to see that the foundation is done and that works works progressing. Because the lender may be out of state, right? Um, or even if they're in town, it's not their job to drive around to construction sites, right? Uh, the purpose for this, these are called draw inspections because the the loan to build the, 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 the entire construction project, let's say it's $500,000, let's say that's that's to be dispersed in five $100,000 increments because right. the bank's not going to give you all the money to build the entire house because you don't need the money for those shingles yet. Right. We right. want to see that you've got the house framed up before we, the bank, give you the money for the shingles. Right. So they'll send us out, and we'll basically just go out, take a picture, say, yes, this much work is done. Now, is that a separate part of your appraisal practice? Yes. It is. And so it's so it's like, um, it's like I hate to use this word, but almost like one of the menu items that you could have if yes. you were doing an yes, appraisal. Yes, exactly. Okay. Now when, the pro now, when the project's finished uh, on new construction again, if the people are going to uh, sell the home, well, even if they're not, that construction loan was usually a, a fairly expensive short-term loan. Right. Because it's expensive in terms of interest rate and fees compared to your regular mortgage on your home. Right. Because it's higher risk. Right. The lender's loaning money on this beautiful home that's not there yet, okay, right. or it's only halfway there. It's a lot more risk for them, so they're right. going to charge more. Once we have the construction complete, now what we want to do, if you built the home to live in, now you're going to want to get some, some good 30-year fixed fi loan if you can. Get some right. permanent financing. Hopefully lower, lower interest rate fixed Hopefully rate. Hopefully a lot period. lower interest rate than what you were paying on that. Right. And usually it is uh, on your construction money and get you into, an, into what your payment schedule is going to be. Right. Um, so they send the, usually they'll send the appraiser out again and we'll start over. There are some rollover products where they'll use that same appraisal from the construction loan that products out there, but more frequently. But you're really making sure that they're getting the work done because you don't want to give people money and then have them disappear without right. you know, making the thing. Right. And when the new lender comes in, your permanent lender, he's going to want to, usually he's going to want to start over and he's going to want to know what's the value of this property so he can set his his ratios for his loan to value for you. Now, one of the questions, uh, you know, people will ask, can they use the same appraisal? In other words, like if, uh, you know, it, you know, it's like we tell our students, you know, you could have some lender that actually just builds the house. That's all they do. And for whatever reason, because the consumer has chosen not to go with them or because the lender, for whatever reason, decides they don't want to be in that kind of business anymore, will, you know, say, okay, well, we lent you the money to build it, but we want you to go over here to uh, ABC Bank in order to get your long-term loan. That's can you, typical. Can you reuse that appraisal that you did in the beginning? Usually not. Usually, okay. usually the new bank is going to want you to start over. There are some things that are called a rollover product, 
um, where your construction loan actually turns into long-term financing later. Right. But the, the, the standard in the industry and what's, what's more frequent is you go to one bank to get the thing built, you go another bank to get, the, to get your permanent financing. So you'll do the whole the whole thing over the whole appraiser over. Not because the properties change significantly. You may have built just what you said you were going to build. Right. Um, but the market's changed. The comparable sales that I'm looking at in in a property like this, if you were owner building this house here, and if you were even if you were subbing it all out, and maybe you did a little painting and trim work yourself, that's typical. Maybe you did your own landscaping. This could be a year, a year and a half to get from the first time I was out there with the plans to this finished product we see here. Okay. We're in an entirely different market. In past years, that's worked very much to your favor because where property values have been appreciating, by the time you get the house done, now you have a lot more than you had before. Right. You could take that out, buy yourself a boat, lots of things you could do. Right. Now, in November of 2006, it's a different situation. The, if you've been a year and a half building this, now the value of the completed product may be significantly less than what we thought as of the day you started it when I was out there with the plans and the vacant lot. Right. The lender needs to know this, too, before he, um, before the lender uh, signs with you on a 30-year loan. So the property could go, could go down. It may well have in, in the market we're at right now. In fact, I, I know I have a house in um, Cameron Park that... Um, you know, you're always watching what the next door neighbor is doing, and that house market for you know on and off the market for several different times, and it was on the it was somewhere around five hundred and ten, five hundred fifteen thousand dollars. I think they were asking for it. It's right next to a house that I own that I rent out. And uh, anyway, my son called me because he's the one that rents for me. <laughs> he called me yesterday to let me know that house sold for four hundred fifty thousand dollars. So, you know, that house essentially, you know, I'm, I'm sure that whenever they put the, vet, the price on that house of, say, $510,000, they thought it was pretty close to what they, they could get for it. But what they've ended up having to do is to reduce their price somewhere around $60,000, $70,000 within this period of time in order to sell it. And, you know, uh, Pat, this brings us to a point in, in appraisal practice and, and theory here. There's a big difference. We've, talked, we've been kind of dancing a little bit around the difference between the value and the cost. Right. The cost to build versus the value of what it will sell for. Right. Here in this situation, and, and most of your people who, who are thinking, oh, my home is worth so many dollars, or they apply for a loan and they think my house is worth 250 Right. Well, why? Well, because the neighbors was listed down. It's going for. They always tell me it's going for. Going for. Yeah, going yeah. for. Yeah, going You know, for. it's going for. Houses in my neighborhood are going for 250 Right. Well, as an appraiser, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to going for. It's already got to be done gone. Right. And the asking prices may be $250,000, but if the sales prices are 225 that's what the lender's interested in, that's what we're looking at, is what is a willing buyer and a willing seller actually agreed to? What what did someone pay for a comparable property? Right. Now, in this market that we're in right now, again, this is November of 2006. It's a pretty soft real estate market. A lot of In a lot of neighborhoods, our values are kind of sliding on the downward direction. Right. Now, we're looking at, as an appraiser, I'm looking at listings like I haven't been for many years. And uh, 
if I see so if listings I, meaning the fact that, that the asking the prices people have had to lower their price in order to move their property exactly for example let us say that this again this I like this pretty picture because it's here we can look at it right. let us say this is a subdivision and we have ten of these models in the subdivision right let's to pull a number again let's say that the house across the street is just like this same model it sold two months ago for five hundred thousand dollars right let's say that next door is the same model and it's listed right now for 480 what does that tell me about the value of this property it tells me it's something less than 480 right. or the one next door for 480 would have sold already right right and not that in the most recent sale 500 the same thing across the street sold last month for 500,000 well, that's what it was worth then when that went into escrow right. but things have changed since then and maybe the values have dropped so now, as you see, I'm looking at listings. Right. Well, like I tell my students a lot of times, where it really gets down to the value of the house or the marketplaces we talk about is what can people afford. You know, in other words, as uh, you know, like you said, this house, you know, if this was $500,000, maybe everybody, everybody, you know, in a class could afford this at $500,000 and the interest rate was 3%. But, you know, now if you conversely go to 7%, you know, a lot less people can afford that. So change one of two things. You either have to reduce the monthly payments or you have to reduce the price. And you see, and this does, this does touch the day-to-day -day workings of appraisers. We don't really, Pat, sit around and, 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 and you know, in doing day-to-day appraisals, we don't really deal that much in the large economic forecasts and affordability and, and those kinds of crystal ball gazing things because we're in there uh, meat and potatoes in the trenches neighborhood by neighborhood what are the comparable sales competing listings that a buyer would be looking at if they were if, if this property I'm appraising was on the market but what we do see is back up again back to the same scenario the, uh, this is a this is a tract home we're looking at the, these this, ten of these models, one across the street sold for five hundred thousand dollars, the one next door is listed for five hundred and ten thousand dollars, but the one across the street sold with some seller concessions they needed to get rid of it, so they kicked some cash back in at closing, right? Or some other horse trading was going on, or, or maybe like they carried some of the paper at favorable at favorable rates. In other words, there was some seller financing on that house across the street for $500,000. I can't just say, well, look, the house next door sold for 500, this one's worth 500. Right. Cuz it really didn't sell for 500. Right. The market value of that purchase of that package that the seller got was different. Right. In that case it was less yeah, like because would, he kicked some cash we were back. Talking or, we were talking before the show how you had mentioned uh, about uh, people uh, putting cars for sale along yes. with the house. And uh, I had a student a couple weeks ago that brought in, um, you know, an ad. Uh, I, it might have been a couple weeks or a month ago where they were selling a house. I, I want to say it was either a Mercedes or a BMW or something with the house. Um, we've seen people do things such as personal, as property. personal property going with the house or maybe a, a vacation to Hawaii or Maybe they're willing to carry more of their equity in a loan and not receive payments for a while because they're desperate. They need to sell it, but they're going to get still get the higher price. And that, that's kind of like your detective work that you have to figure out. And 
say, yeah, that house may be sold for more money, but by the way, did you know that they, were, they also included in, in, in all reality today a car with it or, or, or a, a vacation, which people are doing now. Or they've, uh, like we've seen a lot of the builders do concessions where they, they say to the um, buyer of the home, listen, go to our design center and here's $50,000 in credits that you can use for countertops, drapes, or whatever you want. Yes. And, you know, and here's another, just a, a little vignette here that I ran into very recently in your neighborhood. Oh, okay. In your own neighborhood. Right. I'm not going to say the name. But I had a friend up there who was refinancing. And it's a, it's a home. Actually, it looked very similar to this one again. <laughs> this, in fact, it, it looked very similar to this because right. this is coming from the same neighborhood to right. live in. And uh, he called me and said, I want to refinance. And, uh, and you know, I'm looking at it. 80% loan to value, and this is what the homes in my neighborhood are selling for, according to the uh, the uh, the builder store down the street. The, the model homes has the sales office in it. Right. So I called the model homes. I said I have a number 2030 or whatever the plan is, and they said sure. The asking price on that is this. I said, have you got some closed sales in there? Oh yeah, yeah. That, that, every, they're selling for this. I've got closed sales, no problem. So I went out to do the appraisal, and when I went over to the model home place, when I started doing the detective work on the sales, it wasn't anywhere near that. There was some builder incentives going on. Right. The builder incentives, they're trying to close out. They're trying to get out of town as fast as they can because they're, they're, finishing, the, they're finishing the subdivision. There's only a few homes left to sell. But the builder doesn't want the people in the neighborhood to know that they've dropped the home asking prices, $20,000, dollars $80,000 in the last six months right. because they don't want the neighborhood homeowners association coming at them with torches and pitchforks right. <laughs> you know, for these homes. They sold. So they're kind of keeping up a facade up there. And this, just, this is just last, I don't know, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And, and because, so they're kind of keeping up a facade up there that the home values are still way up here where we sold them to you folks and everything's great in this neighborhood right. when really it's not. Right. So it was unfortunate. My friend couldn't refinance his house because they weren't legitimate sales. And when we, when we make the adjustment for the seller concessions, right. they indicated, it, I don't know, seventy or $80,000 less than, than what, he, what everyone was anticipating. Now, that, which brings another question, too. You know, we talk about a lot of times in class, and I guess people are, are used to the fact that we use three different, appra uh, three different approaches, if you will, when we appraise property. We talk about the market approach. We talk about the cost approach and the income approach. And if you could just take a couple minutes and talk about each approach sure. a little bit, and then do you use all three approaches all the time, some of the time, part of the time? Uh, okay. How does that work? Well, I think we've already talked about the cost approach and, and uh, uh, the thinking in the mind of the, of the buyer where the, we had the, the lot next door where he could pr produce the similar product next door. Um, so, yeah, I use the cost a lot in construction. Right. Um, and in fairly new homes where there's, where there's land available. When there's no longer land available, if you're, say, in the Midtown area, right. it doesn't really, the cost approach isn't going to tell you a heck of a lot because you don't know the land value. Right. And it isn't going to help you a heck of a lot because the buyer doesn't have the option of building a 150-year-old Victorian next door. Right. You can't build a 150-year-old Victorian. 
anymore. Right. And you can't do it next door if there's no land. With the floors that are warped right. and not right. level and stuff like that. Can't right. be done. Right. So the cost approach is a pretty meaningless exercise there most of the time. So you're saying if you're in an older area, in the Midtown area, trying to replicate that, the cost approach may not be may not even factor no. into the equation. Even if you're in a large subdivision, if there isn't the option for the buyer to come in, buy a lot next door, and build a similar product, if they don't have that option, then what do we really care? Right. It doesn't. Okay. What does it tell us about the value? There's a lot of neighborhoods where that still is the case. In in Alberta, in Rio Linda, in Wilton, in Galt, in El Dorado Hills, most right. of the foothills. Um, so there we look at. Right. The um, the income approach, you know, in residential homes, we don't we don't do it much. It doesn't tell us much. Because even even if you're buying, um, most people who have been, I, I think, I heard a statistic. Again, we're in 2006. Somebody told me that um, something like 20% of the purchases in the last five years in California have been non-owner occupied. Okay. People buying homes to rent. Right. A lot of those purchases, yeah, they're looking at how much the rents will pull, but they're also kind of looking for appreciation, and they have been, and that's why there's so many homes on the market right now. Right. We use the we use the the income approach. We don't grind things down to a cap rate, and and, and yields. What's, that, what's a what's a cap? Rate? Well, we don't we don't get uh, in in commercial appraising, mm-hmm. which I don't do. <laughs> <laughs> Those who do tell me that there they look primarily at the income stream that the property is going to going to produce. Right. That's what people are buying an income property. They're buying income. So we're talking about, a, uh, when we talk about commercial, we're talking more like apartment houses, shopping centers, mobile yes. home parks, movie theaters, things like that. Yes. Okay. In, in residential property, most, this home, just looking at it, is it, is this probably built as a rental? Probably not. It's a semi-custom home. It's something somebody's buying to live in. But there's kind of an in-between netherworld where the small-time mom-and-pop investor can, you know, you can buy the house next door. You can buy the house in Cameron Park and rent it to your son. Right. There's kind of an in-between world. Um, that's the reason why under our licensing, appraise, residential appraisers, we appraise two to four family units, but not five, six units. Yeah, it's kind of an arbitrary line, but what's really going on there is that's that's the line that the state has kind of drawn, that our industry in negotiating with the state has kind of drawn to say, well, everything on the other side of that, that's income stuff. Okay. That's commercial stuff. Six units, you're not going to buy a six-unit or a 12-unit apartment house and live in one unit right. and rent the others out, and it's your residence too. It may happen, but it's not why you're buying. Right. Whereas... In a two to four family situation, lots of people are buying for the same aesthetic and uh, emotional reasons that they buy single family homes. I think also, too, because uh, a lot of your uh, programs, such as uh, the FHA, VA, uh, memory serves me correctly, CalVet, um, government programs, if you will. Uh, have where you know you can get financing, you know, uh, for one, two, four units. And the way I've always thought about it is the fact that uh, if it's a duplex, for example, it might be a way for you to 
you know, have some place where you live and also some form of an investment. It also may help you in, in making the, you know, the final monthly mortgage payment of mm-hmm. some sort. So it, it sort of fits in that category, if you will, versus like you're saying, a, a larger apartment house or something. So in, in these types of properties, in the, in the single family home that's a rental, in the two to four family homes that are rentals, yeah, they produce income. We look at them, and, and more in the duplexes and the triplexes and the fourplexes, the more the property moves into the characteristics that make it more and more of an income property and less and less of something that someone would buy to fill their own emotional satisfaction of honey loves the kitchen, so boy, this is the one we're moving right. into. Then we start working with gross rent multipliers, and, and we start looking at the income a lot closer. And okay. in, in generally in duplexes and fourplexes, the income gives us a real strong indicator of value. Now, the, you mentioned gross rent multiplier. Is that just is that something you establish that allows you to compare one property to the other right. based on income? Right. How does, that, how does that kind of work? It's right? like it's like a Fred Flintstone cap rate. You know, we just take the, we take the big hammer and the rock, and we we, we you know we take the the the, the you know. The, the total price of the property, you know, and divided by how much rent it makes of the smack, you get this, you get this kind of strange shape little stone, you know, <laughs> and it's about the same shape as that, so they're roughly, they're roughly similar. So it's a rough estimate is right, what it really is. Right. And so we don't, whereas in commercial appraising, mm-hmm. uh, they'll look at, uh, they'll grind the income right down to the net. They'll look at the actual, you know, what's it cost to keep the lights on? What is the, what is the, the garbage bill? You know, okay. and then they'll use, you know, depreciation schedules on the property. How many more years of life does this really have? Right. And, and really grind it down to this is what this investment will yield. And then they can look at other competing in investments and value property that way. And when we talk about competing investments where, you know, I know I mentioned to my students, and I just kind of want to confirm that with you, is, is that I've always said to students, you know, when you invest in anything, there's a lot of different options you have available, and as an investor, you can look at real estate, you can look at stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Uh, the band of investments. The band of investments, and you pick real estate because it, it's going to return a certain amount of money to you, or you're going to get, you know, it's going to go up hopefully in value and return a certain amount of money, and you like it before because you feel comfortable with it, maybe because you can drive by it and take a look at it. Ah, now, <laughs> this is my world that you're in, to drive by it and feel comfortable about it. Now let's talk about the market approach because that's where I live. That's okay. where I live and breathe most of the time in residential appraisal. Well, let's, let's take the market approach, but let's add another twist into it. Let's just say, uh, you know, the phone rings, ringy-ding-ding, the phone rings, um, and I'm assuming, I think we've talked before this, uh, you get the majority of your businesses usually on people that want to borrow money to, to buy a house, correct? So the phone just rang, your wife picked the phone up, and and where do we go from there okay, to what the time do we you do? deliver an appraisal? Okay, can we do this one again because I like the picture? <laughs> sure. Okay. okay, the phone rings, the, the, uh, usually it's a mortgage broker or the bank that's calling. These people have applied for a loan. Uh, let's, is, are they purchasing or refinancing? Let's say they're purchasing. They're purchasing this house right here, except the sign's not there. Okay. Okay. Um, the sales price is, to pull the number out of the sky, it's $500,000. I know that. Right. They've also, they fax their request over to my office or email it, right. as well as the contract. 
so I can see that's part of my job before I ever the, start. When you say the contract, the purchase it? agreement on this house that, that the borrower's buying. Oh, sometimes like the deposit receipt or the purchase, except I the get purchase all that. offer. Okay, I so get, you get all, all that. that. Okay, I get all that. And the re why do I get that? I get that so I can see are, are there sellers' concession in terms of sales and things going on in this that I need to be aware of. So, Is there a boat in the backyard that's part of this? Because I'm part of the policing process that's going to help disclose these things to the lender. So, in other words, if the seller has agreed to pay points or closing costs for the for the buyer, or has said I'm going to leave all the drapes in the house, or I know I'm, all that before I start. You know all that before you start, so it actually oh okay, okay. And so I'm you, disclosing that all the way. I'm disclosing everything all the way along the line because I'm not working for the buyer. Okay. He's just paying my bill. Okay. I'm working for the lender. Okay. Now I've got called from a mortgage broker. Right. He's assigning that to me. Right. He he made the decision to call Jeff instead of another appraiser. Right. The borrower who's buying the house, he's paying the bill for me, but I'm not working for either of those folks. I'm working for the lender, and right now we don't know who that's going to be okay. until the loan gets packaged by the broker and, and submitted. So I'm doing lots of disclosure for this client who I don't even know who it is yet. Okay. The next thing we do, of course, we set an appointment to go uh, with the agent uh, to go and, and view the property. Some appraisers will show up with a lockbox key and let themselves in. I don't ever do that because I want to be there with the listing agent where I can interview them when I walk through the property and f because they were there holding the open houses, they're going to tell me things I need to know in valuing this property. Okay. They're also going to tell me things they want me to know that they think I need to know, but they're going to tell me things that will be helpful too. Okay. Then we're going to pull up some comparable sales from the office. Now on the metro list, uh, on the... Now, can we step back for a minute? When you go out to the house now... Oh, okay. I haven't gone yet. Oh, you haven't gone back? No. Oh, okay, okay. No, no. Okay, no, we're still in the office. Still in the office, okay. We're pulling up, and if it's a purchase, we're going to see the same photo and some interior photos on our computer. Okay. We'll see some other homes that look like they're about the same size that have sold recently in the neighborhood, and we're right. going to pick the ones, and there may be some photos of those. Right. We're going to pick the ones that look the most similar to what we're appraising. Okay. We get the real estate's agent, listing agent's description of this property that she put in there to advertise it when it was listed. Right. Lots of times that's not entirely true. Um, the the MLS, if you if you look at the multiple listing readouts, multiple readout, listing system, okay. Yeah, that's where the agents are advertising to each other to come show this beautiful, charming little starter cottage that I've just listed. Right. Well, those are advertisements. Right. You know, and when you get out there, it may not be charming and may not be <laughs> as charming <laughs> as it said it was. Okay, now I'm now I'm ready to go. I've got my comparable sales. Uh, I've got a sheet that tells me a little bit about the property what the public records say the square footage is and things like that. Right. Okay. I'm off to the neighborhood, off to my appointment. I start my appraising down the street from this photo, way down there. When I pull into the neighborhood, I'm looking around at the neighborhood, at the street. I'm looking for anything that might affect value. You know, is there is there a loud freeway? Are there some heavy power lines? Are some of the homes in the neighborhood run down? Does this does the one that I when I come up to the one with the sign on it, this one is it compatible with what else is in the neighborhood? I get alert a block ahead of time. Okay. Then I'll come up, I'll, I'll ring the doorbell, I'll see, meet the agent, I'll take a lot of photographs inside and out. I'll walk around the outside of the improvements with my tape measure and I'll make a little sketch of the floor plan and measurement to double check on the square footage, especially if 
if it doesn't look like it's in the same ballpark of what's permitted with mm-hmm. the county. Now, I'll look are, at the are you view. concerned about uh, what would you, not to get you off the track, but if you're out there <coughs> in the um, county or the city, depending upon where the property is located, you've gotten some description that says it's 1,500 square feet, and you get out there and you run your tape measure around the outside and says something different here. There's uh, it's 2,500 square feet. What, what happens all the time. Oh, it does. All okay. the time. Or these doors don't open. One of these doors doesn't open, and it's got a room built in there, a bedroom for the nanny or the billiard room or whatever. Happens all the time. Do you annotate that or mention that? Oh, you bet. You okay. bet. I'm disclosing all the way. So now I have to decide. Now, as in my due diligence as an appraiser is simply to ask the seller, hey, I noticed that there's some room additions or garage conversion here. Are these permitted or not? Okay. And then I disclose what they tell me. Okay. But that puts a flag up to the lender. Some lenders will, will just my word, and, and I'll give them a comment of whether visually it appears to be good workmanship and materials that's, that's comparable with the rest of the house and not just some plywood thing in, you know, lean-to in the backyard, which you see those too. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and I'll make the comment of, of I'll disclose what I'll see. I'll put in a lot of photos, and I'll tell the lender, here's, here's what I see. Okay. The lender may come back, and they may say a number of things. One, we don't do loans on those types of things. Okay. Go find another bank. Two, um, yeah, we'll do a loan on that, but we want you to have the inspector come out and, and walk through it, the building department, and look for code violations. Okay. Um, that can open a can of worms. Right. The inspector has options too. Anyway, so there's different options that can happen, yeah. and most of those are going to be a case by case thing, depending on how this lender handles that situation. And what you find, yeah. My job as an appraiser is to to do two things. First, to disclose okay. to the lender. Now I have another situation. Let's say that in this this part of the garage right here has actually been built into bedroom number six. And the door doesn't open, but there it is. Now, what do I do as far as value? I have to make a determination. Does that improvement add value to the entire property? And sometimes these types of things, there's some delay because now I've let the broker know, well, there's some room additions out there. The broker's on the call to his rep, on on the phone to the lender, finding out how does this lender handle these situations. So lots of times that situation, I'll set that appraisal aside for several days until I get word back from the lender. And the lender may tell me, yeah, if it adds value to the property in the neighborhood, go ahead and value it. We're fine with that. Okay. Or the lender may say, pretend it's not there, Jeff. Disclose to me that it's there on the appraisal so we know there's unpermitted improvements. But we don't make loans on unpermitted improvements. So what we want you to do is we want you to value the rest of the house and the other three-car garage, and just ignore that like it doesn't exist. So, in other words, treat it like it's a garage then? Yeah. Or, okay. Or, or or what would be the cost to turn it back into a garage? Could we knock out some walls for $1,000 and turn it back into a garage? Kind of like what they do with model homes, where yeah. they take the garage and turn it into some kind of an office space, you know, and then at the end of the sale, like they did in the model that I have, what they did is they went in there and spent a couple days and took out all the walls and everything and turned it, back into a garage, actually took the crown molding out. I couldn't believe it. You know, and so. so we do this in theory. Okay. Uh, we do it on paper in theory when in reality it's a, it's a hypothetical situation. It doesn't exist. But so was the construction loan. When the house didn't exist. We were just out there with the plans. Okay. It's uh, not unusual. Um, and this sorts of thing happens quite frequently. Uh, the home may be on, on uh, 20 acres. 
in Placerville. But the lender says, you know what? Our loan programs here, we don't loan on homes in 20 acres. We only loan on homes on five acres because that's what kind of loans we do, and that's the kind of loans we turn around in the secondary market and we sell those loans. So they'll tell me, Jeff, go out there and appraise that house on five acres. <laughs> I say, well, which five? <laughs> well, they don't care. They're encumbering the whole 20 acres with their loan, but they just don't want any, any value given to that excess land. So I'm going to make an adjustment to the comparable sales and kind of pretend it's only sitting on five of those 20 acres. Do it all the time. Okay. It makes a lower appraisal, yeah, but it makes the lender happy because right. it fits in their box and it gives them a more conservative loan and it gives them a, an appraisal product and a loan they can turn around and sell to the next investor. Well, what investor. you're also saying, too, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying because if those were separate lots, you could have ta they could have taken the lots and split them off, which would be a separate issue altogether if they made them five-acre parcels or something like that. No, this is on this is on a single-family home on 20 acres. Oh, okay. They'll just say... Only, only give five acres of value to the 20 acres. Okay. So we'll do that in theory on paper with our adjustments. So now we're back here at the inspection. Okay. We're walking around. We're looking at the landscape. We notice this big, pretty oak tree in the backyard. Probably in the back, when we were around back, we saw the pool. We took some photos. Uh, we saw if there was a view. I, I don't see much here, some daylight. Maybe there's a view here. Maybe we can see Folsom Lake or Sacramento. Uh, maybe from the deck in the backyard, we got some photos there. So I go home with lots of photos. We've walked through the interior. We've looked at the, the materials, the quality of workmanship, the floor plan, the livability of the house, um, those sorts of things. Now, I leave the property. Oh, and, of course, we're interviewing the listing agent. Right. She was there when they marketed it. She can tell me the response that people had when they came through. Uh, the, the features about the home, she can point to me and say, this is really, you know, a lot of people really like this feature. Right. You know, and I'm, she's there to ask, so I like to have her there. Right. Uh, the next thing I'm going to do now that I've inspected the property, I'm going to drive by the other homes that, that seem the most similar on paper. I also will have asked that agent about those. She may have sold some of those other homes. I can't go inside them. Right. All I can do is drive by take a photo from the outside to put on my report. But I can telephone the agents who did sell those other homes, and I can interview them on the phone. And I ask them, I discuss with them the quality and features and amenities and the terms of sale on those comparable sales while I'm looking at all the photos I took on this house. Right. You know, And they say, well, it was an oak and tile kitchen with the white tile countertops, and in this one I can see from my photos when I was there. You know, it's wood floors and it's cherry and it's granite slabs. And I tell myself, well, that's not apples to apples. This is a different right. quality home. Right. So you either need to throw that comp away or make an adjustment. Right. In theory, I believe in practice, what I'm doing as a residential appraiser in the market approach, I'm trying to recreate the thinking of the buyer when you shop to buy a home in your neighborhood, you drive by, you look at the street appeal, you look at the view, you compare to what else is for sale, and you negotiate your best price. Right. And if it doesn't have as good a view, you're not going to pay as much. Theoretically, I'm supposed to be doing the same thing on every property I appraise. The main difference is I'm not comparing with what's for sale. I'm comparing with what's already sold most of the time. Okay. That's what I'm doing. 
out of that, we get all sorts of interesting stuff. For example, the view of Folsom Lake out the back. Many times I'll walk through someone's home. The homeowner's proud of their home. They'll walk me out on the terrace. You know, they put their arm around me. You know, the guy that's refinancing. And he'll say, behold, my view. Mm-hmm. Isn't that lovely? Right. You know? You'll say, you can't put a price on that. <laughs> I love it when they say that. <laughs> and you'll and say, I try to be polite about it. But the fact is, I can put a price on that. And they put a price on that, and so did the buyer before them. Because the house across the street, it doesn't have a view of Folsom Lake. Right. It's just got a view of the, the bow range behind. And, right. You know, so, and, and it, the difference, I can go right back to the, the, when the two lots sold, before the homes were even on them. This lot sold for 10% more than that lot. And they're identical, except this one has a view of Folsom Lake. And that one doesn't. That one doesn't, yeah. So what's the view of Folsom Lake worth? Well, it's worth 10% of that sale price of that lot. And with that, that's the market approach. Right. And in doing that, that's how we find all of these adjustments, whether it's the swimming pool, the better quality kitchen that we talked about, the difference between the oak and tile and formica kitchen and the... Uh, you know, versus the built-in refrigerator and stainless steel appliances and the marble slab. Well, the difference... In those in value is not the cost. We never use the cost on that of what it would cost a contractor to come in and remodel or to build. We use the market. And the way we do that is what we call paired sales analysis. Hopefully we find, as in the example of the view, when you take the houses off, the two lots, that's a perfect paired sales analysis. Those are identical except for the view. Except for the view. That tells us exactly what that view is worth. Now, if my situation is, as we said before with this house, we have this house, we have the identical model across the street just sold for $500,000. Right. Okay? Now I know how much more is this worth than that because I can go back to the paired sales analysis and I can find that percentage difference. Whatever that difference is. And I apply that to the $500,000 sales across the street. And if it's $50,000 for the view, then what's mine worth? Five fifty. So in reality, we as consumers, when we go out and shop for a house based on, uh, you know, what we're willing to pay is what the value really is. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. in reality, if, if somebody prices their house at a higher higher amount of money, and um, it, it, it may sit on the market for a long period of time until they finally decide to reduce the price and then finally sells to what it has been, but it's still whatever the consumer perceives as being the value of the property. Yes, because you're the market. As the appraiser, I don't set the market. I don't make up the values. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't put the value on the home. I simply interpret what the buyers and sellers are agreeing to out there and what features they're looking at. And and it may seem very obje- very subjective to you right. because you may look again, I I know I keep picking on this picture, but you may look at this and and you, you know, you have a certain emotional response as to what you see. You know, you have certain emotional responses. Well, that's what I'm measuring. Right. And I'm not measuring those in the human body. I'm measuring those in the in the dollars that the, that you humans are paying for these properties. And they're and they're and it's 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 kind of interesting. But after a while, you get the hang of it, and you can actually do it. Yeah, because I always love the uh, the, the, the standard saying that a lot of people uh, will say is something like, "Well, it, the appraiser said." 
has to be worth this amount of money. And the reality, what the appraiser is saying is, after all the analysis that I've done, all the data that I've looked at, uh, all the people I've called, the agents and, and 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 everybody else, what I've come up with as a result of that is that this is the price, okay, and and that's it. But it's based on a lot of research and a lot of analysis, which may seem to be a lot of work. But if you're out there every day doing a lot of appraisals. You're just close to it. There's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of repetition. You know, uh, a lot of the real estate agents that are in the business, and probably when you call a lot of them, maybe you didn't do an appraisal two weeks ago, but you did one maybe five years ago with them. You know, which brings me to the last part. We only have a few minutes left, but what I wanted to do is, I know we talk about this in our um, in our uh, textbook, if you will, that there's other reasons why we get appraisals besides you know just trying to sell, because we've basically been telling talking about you know selling a house. So maybe establishing a value for the person when they're getting ready to sell it or maybe lending money on it, that kind of a thing. But uh, there are other types of special appraisals that they talk about that people have to. And I was wondering if you've had some experience in doing some of these things. For example, having somebody come in and just establish a value if there happens to be a divorce or probate or insurance or anything along that line where you've come in and been asked to establish a value and it's not being sold or borrowed against. Yeah, I, you know, I've done lots of that. Um, people inheriting property, doing legal partitions for a divorce, as you say, one party trying to decide how much they owe the other party because they're trying to, they're trying to split this, this one, <laughs> this one property, you know, break it down into a dollar figure so that they can partition it. Um, Lawsuits. I've worked for uh, attorneys, um, people suing each other, sometimes over over uh, erroneous or fraudulent appraisals. They need somebody to come in and help clean up somebody else's mess. Um, some of the more interesting ones I've appraised: um, dome homes, log homes, straw bale homes. Recently, Dorothea Puente's house, where she had all the bodies buried on. Down in Midtown, now did you dock them? <laughs> and there was no and there was no power, you know. A couple of those types of things, yeah, where you start getting into stigma. I mean, everybody knows that about that house, and you've got to deal with those. And just as with the view, you have to turn that into a dollar figure. Um, so, in other words, if you have if you have something with somebody, I know, like for example, when you sell property, you're supposed to disclose if somebody has died in that property, and I believe it's the last three years. As the appraiser, I have to determine. Does that affect the value of the property, or doesn't it? Now, in the one in F Street, it did. It did. <laughs> and in the one in the one in Cameron Park, I appraised three times. It started that whole asbestos scare up there. Um, yeah, that property stigmatized. It's been on the news. Everybody knows which one it is. It affects the value. So you have to deal with those things. Um, for for legal. So yeah. So the 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 thing that I'm saying is that there, even though most of your work as an appraiser I just work in the greater Sacramento Tri-County area. Mm -hmm. There are many homes here I've appraised more than once. There's hardly a street in the city I haven't been on. <laughs> you know? How but, do you how do you handle those? But there's homes? still challenges occasionally. How do you handle those homes? Like uh, when you say dome homes, when I was a kid, uh, probably 14, 15 years old, I worked at a place that was called Spaceburger. And the building was made out of, uh, I think it was a person that was a, actually it was a contractor, and I think it was used to, you know, to sell swimming pools or something, or it was some kind of a model for something. And they, there was three guys that got together. I think one was a banker, one was a contractor, and I forget what the third guy did. And, and they built this, the idea was that they made this hamburger place, and because the place looked like a dome, they called it Spaceburger. 
But um, how do you go about valuing some of those wacko things like log cabins and spaces, uh, you in, know, log in, cabins in in, 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 in residential yeah. property? Okay. Well, for example, the dome home. I've done several of those over the years. Um, the principles are the same. You go back to the market approach, you, back to the same way we talked about for the swimming pool, the kitchen, or the view. Okay. Apples to apples. Now, in this home that we were talking about, when we got it down to the vacant lot, this one had the view of Folsom Lake. That one didn't. That's the market approach. That's what people are willing to pay right. for that view. Right. So with dome homes, I don't have another comparable sale of a dome home. Right. I have to go somewhere either off in distance or back in time until I find some. And then I look. I may that I may be doing a dome home, let us say, in Elk Grove. Mm-hmm. My only dome home comparable sale in the last six months may be in Loomis. Right. Not a comparable neighborhood at all. But I'll find out by making all the other adjustments on that that the dome home was worth, let us say, 7% less than the than the best comps at the time. So to appraise something like that, I may have to do several appraisals of these paired sales analysis. I may have to go back in time to eight years ago, one sold in Galt. And I'll find something similar square footage, make all the other adjustments for the barn, the acreage, and I may find out there, hey, look, that dome home sold for 6.5% less than the stick-built houses that were average quality. And when I do that two or three times, pretty soon I start finding out, you know what? The dome home is selling for 5 to 8% less than the stick-built homes. Now, all that goes in my report because all I have for comparable sales are the stick-built homes that look like right. Kleenex boxes next to it. Right. And, and so it's the same principles. But it's a little different, a lot more legwork. Because I've seen, I think where you see a lot of those homes, you know, I mean, of different types of that nature, are in the outlying areas such as I've seen them in, um, in um, oh, God, along Green Valley Road uh, between El Dorado Hills and Cameron yes, Park is one it. of them. Uh, I've seen log cabins up in the, uh, in the Shingle Springs area. Uh, you know, a lot of those different types of homes I've seen in different Rammed areas. Rammed earth, uh, yeah, just different, different, di completely different types of roofs, different types of uses altogether, um, whatever. So anyway, um, as I mentioned before, we've, I think we've got maybe about a minute to go now. Um, the, probably the last thing I want to ask you about is, uh, uh, I'm just thinking really quickly here, is there anything else that you would maybe want to add uh, about the appraisal business at all for anybody that's really considering going into it as a yes. as a career. Yes, the same thing. The thing that I come and I tell your your interns, uh -huh. and that is that uh, although here we're talking the the actual day to day work that I do and kind of the technical aspects of how I value property. Right. As an independent residential appraiser working out of my home, this is primarily a sales job. Right. I most of what makes me successful is selling these services to banks and attorneys and mortgage brokers. And if someone's considering being an appraiser and are interested in these kind of concepts that we work with, well, that's fine. That's what we do. It's not really what we get paid for. What we get paid for is to sell. selling these services to the client. So okay. if you don't want to sell, don't come into this industry. You don't belong here. Okay, and I that's want to my thank own, you. That's my own <laughs> thought. I want to thank you very much for coming, Jeff. And we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come and visit with us. 
Well, thanks for having me. Everybody else, uh, have a nice time, and we'll see you back here again when we uh, when we have our next guest that'll be coming in from the uh, from the real estate or the business profession. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you back again. Bye bye.